This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. We're getting a little bit of a late start today, but just because our lovely DJ Monterey put on an extra special show for you this Thursday. I am your host, Emily Moshak, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host. Howdy, howdy. I'm J.D. Layton. Our local reporter. I'm Mia Sawyer. And a very, very special guest with us today, CSU's documentary filmmaker, Mr. Frank Boring. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course. Thank you for being here. How are you today? Good. 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 So we have you here because you are making a documentary about CSU's 150th anniversary? 150 years of CSU in 58 minutes and 46 seconds, which is a PBS hour. Wow. That is awesome. Can you explain just a little bit more about what the documentary is, when you're expecting it to come out, things like that? Sure. Uh, Bottom line, I got here in 2016 as a guest of Joe Parker from Athletics because I had just finished a a documentary film about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. If you ever saw the movie League of Their Own with uh, Tom Hanks and Gina Davis about the women in World War II that had a professional baseball team, I did the actual documentary. And so Joe was looking for a way to... uh, honor and uh, highlight uh, CSU women's athletics. And so I came out here, showed the film, and I went back uh, to Michigan, which is where I was uh, originally, and um, talk began about what we're gonna do for the 150th anniversary. And so within the administrative level, they said, well, what about documentary film? Hmm, who do we know that knows how to do that sort of thing? (laughs) So long story short, I was brought out here, uh, met a number of different people, and. they hired me in July 3rd, 2017. That's awesome. And what was the kind of the inspiration from making this documentary? Or how did you decide what angle you were going to take? Well, the first part, before I get into that question, uh, really the thing to understand is that as a documentary filmmaker, I come in and I have to obviously do research. What's the history of CSU, especially when you're talking about 150 years? Uh, second is you have to find out who you're going to interview. And then guess what? Unlike radio, you have to actually see something. (laughs) So what happened was uh, I was brought to the Clark Building and met with some people, including Pete Walk, by the way, the uh, student media. And uh, they took me up in a very rickety elevator, the type that has the metal thing that you open up and then you (laughs) jostle your way upstairs. And uh, I walked into this huge uh, darkened area and they started opening up cabinets and all we found was just huge amounts of of just media. There was a 16 millimeter film, uh, professional quality one inch film, uh, three quarter inch film, beta SP, which is what I started with when I was uh, making documentaries, started in documentary filmmaking, and then just tapes everywhere on three separate floors. And so a large part of what I've been doing is organizing all that in cooperation with the Morgan Library to try to figure out what we actually have. 
Um, some of the material, some of the media was actually very well organized and had great labels on them. But somewhere along the line, either it was lost or thrown away, the master list was gone. <laughs> so we had a bunch of files to go through and uh, had to really figure out what do we have. So now we have it divided up into A through Z, agriculture through zoology. Uh, and we're trying to make some head or tail out of what this story is going to be. But um, 150 years, you know, 1870 to 2020, that's a lot of material to carry. No, oh, yeah. Out of out of curiosity, what uh, types of things are on the tapes and what's sort of the, the date range? Everything you can imagine. The, er, the oldest we've found is uh, film footage shot on 35 millimeter film of a 1919 CUCSU oh, wow. football game. <laughs> and it is amazing because it's in great shape. Uh, you look at the people who come to see the football games, they look nothing like they do today. They're all dressed up to the max. They have suits and ties, the women are all dressed up, everybody has hats. Um, there's actual film footage of Teddy the Bear. And your audience is going, what? We had a bear for a mascot? And we actually did, I got filmed to prove it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but there's, there is amazing footage uh, of all across the spectrum. Um, we also found, for example, uh, something that people have seen pictures of. The oldest building on campus was called Old Main, and it burned to the ground in the 1970s. And there's lots of pictures of that, but we actually found film footage. Oh, wow. There is the horrible flood that, that literally uh, the oval was flooded. Um, the, the library had books literally coming out like Niagara Falls with books just flying out in water. Um, there's the anti-war uh, and the civil rights movement, uh, which happened in the 60s and the 70s. There's some great footage about that. Um, and then scientific things. You know, we were part of the cloning of sheep, Dolly, um, the wind tunnel experiments. I mean, there's just CSU has a rich history. And luckily for us, that media is proof of it. Wow. That that's so exciting. I even just listening to you talk, there are so many things I didn't even know CSU was involved in. Oh, I could tell you stories. <laughs> I bet, yeah. Well, with all of these tapes, there's clearly a lot. Can you kind of walk us through how you're going to organize it and turn it in to a coherent story in the time frame that you have? Yeah. The, the first stage was to make a timeline. Uh, 1870, what happened? What happened in 1963? And keep in mind, my the best partner I could have uh, is the Morgan Library Special Collections. Those people there are amazing. And uh, there's a lot been written uh, about them. For example, I can tell you, don't ask me right now, I can tell you every single musician that played here from the 1800s. Do you remember John Philip Sousa? Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. He played here. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Did you know the Rolling Stones played here twice? Once in the 60s, once in the 70s. Whoa. I'm not making this up. They need to come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you had incredible speakers. I mean, we had um, uh, we had Jane Goodall speak here. Spike Lee mm. spoke here. Um, uh, Colin Powell spoke here. Uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, just before he announced to become president, spoke here. Uh, so we have all that on, on video. So to answer your question, so we had this timeline, and then there are themes that we work with. So for example, Innovation. What are the scientific things that happened here that are important? 
um, the controversies. Uh, you've heard of the beer in? Oh yeah. Okay, you probably have heard about that. So we have, you know, that would be one. Uh, not just the anti-war movement or the civil rights movement, but there was a time in the in the 1800s where the students walked out of classes because we didn't. They wanted a spring break. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you would be amazed. Uh, World War II ended, and we got this huge number of people coming in with the GI Bill, and they were not willing to, uh, to adhere to a lot of the rules and regulations. Uh, as women's uh, awareness became more and more, uh, as they became more and more aware, they decided, well, how come the boys can stay out till uh, 10 o'clock and, and party and all that, but we have to be in our dorms by. 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock. So these sorts of things um, are part of that whole controversy, the types of conflict that happen. Uh, the entertainment part I was already talking about. Um, so there's themes, the timeline, and then you have to figure out what's the beginning, what's the middle, and what's the end. So if you're at liberty, what uh, what are these films do you think uh, do you expect to make it into the final documentary? Any big pieces where you're like, this is definitely coming well, on of in? Course, yeah, sure. Um, the fire. Uh, the Old Main was a, a major part uh, during the 60s and 70s. It was a huge part of the uh, of the story of how uh, diversity really began um, at this university. People get realizing we need to reach out to, to more people. Um, the flood, of course, is a big thing. I think some of the real amazing scientific discoveries uh, that were done, uh, there was a man named Vic Lang um, who designed one of the ori original um, uh, robots. And he actually had lunch with Steven Spielberg uh, during the period of E.T. because they were so impressed with how he did his work. And you've got to see that to believe it. I can't describe it over the, over the uh, radio. But... There, if you look at the high points of the history of CSU, the fact that we're a land-grant university is really a, a major part of what this story is going to be about. That's really exciting. I can't wait to see it when it finally all comes together. Kind of getting a little more general. Sure. What would your advice be for students who are looking to get into documentary filmmaking? Well, I've often uh, explained to my students that you have to look at it Documentary filmmaking as a producer, which is what I am, uh, is divided into two parts. One, you have to be able to have the technique and the ability, obviously, to shoot and edit and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any of those skills, by the way. <laughs> but the biggest thing, and this is the hardest part for especially students to realize, you have to be able to speak well. You have to be able to present your presentation. You have to make a presentation where people are going to give you money because guess what? Documentary films may, are, cost money, and they don't make any money either, by the way, or very rarely. And so really what you have to figure out is if you can't speak well, you have to find somebody that does, and if you have the skills to be able to shoot and to edit and whatnot, you partner with that person. In my case, I'm too lazy to learn Final Cut Pro and all that sort of stuff. So I decided early on in my career that if I could speak well, if I could convince people that I had an idea that they actually wanted to contribute towards, I could then hire the best and the best. So when do you expect the CSU documentary to be out? Jumping back to that a little bit. Sure. Um, February of 2020 is what's considered Founders Day. And so I believe that's when it's supposed to be ready. I plan to have two versions. One's a 90-minute version, which will really be for the CSU community. 
for our donors, for the people that, uh, the alumni and whatnot. I want it to be one of those films where you're sitting in the theater or watching it on television. You go, I didn't know that about CSU. <laughs> Whereas a 60-minute version, I think, is going to be much more uh, to a larger audience, to a, a fuller audience. I've already met with Rocky Mountain Public Television here, and uh, they've expressed a great deal of interest. It's, it fits right into what they're, what they're into. So the 60-minute version will, I think, show why CSU is unique in the land-grant system, whereas the 90-minute version will be a lot more open. It'll still have that basic theme, but it'll also have all kinds of cool stuff that only we, as CSU people or Fort Collins people, would go, oh, wow, that's so cool. I didn't know we had a bear for a mascot. <laughs> that's really exciting. I'm that's definitely going to happen because even just over the course of this interview, I have learned so much well, about good. Colorado State that I did not know before. Do you have anything else that our listeners or you feel our listeners need to know about the documentary? Well, I, I would hope that people start talking about it. Um, I really hope that this gets word out that there's if they know people that, uh, uh, you know, maybe they're their father went to school here or their grandfather went to school here or grandmother or whatever, if there's people that you know, you know, let us know about those people. Because I'm also partnering with uh, Maggie Walsh, who is in charge of what's called the Senior Scholars Project, which is an attempt to get stories from, uh, alumni, from, from alumni as well as uh, people who have worked here and professors here that have retired to get their oral histories. And so even though I'm doing some oral histories with people that may not make it into the documentary, it's going to be part of CSU's history. I'll give you one quick example. There's a man by the name of Craig Jorgensen. And I was at the library, and I was talking to Gordon Hazard, who's one of the uh, uh, historians in the Morgan Library Special Collections. And um, he was saying, I was just talking to uh, Ken Goldsberry, uh, who's a horticulture professor, emeritus, who's retired, and he's in his 80s. And uh, Ken was telling me that uh, he just had lunch with his professor. I thought, wait a minute. Ken is in his 80s. How could he be talking and having lunch with his professor? <laughs> it turned out that Craig Jorgensen was 104 years old. Oh, wow. my, gosh. oh my God. And I said, I think I better get to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and check it out. There was a time when the uh, oval trees were in real danger. And he was the one that figured out what was wrong with it and, in effect, saved the oval. He also became the first arborist for, C for uh, Fort Collins. And so this man is many, in many ways responsible for the fact that we have so much great footage of foliage, flowers, trees, and whatnot. And within a month after I interviewed him, he did pass away. But we got his story. Wow. That is so, so awesome. Well, thank you so much, Frank, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And to all of our lovely listeners, look for this 150th anniversary documentary in 2020. It is going to have all sorts of amazing amazing history about CSU. So thank you again so much, Frank Boring. Thank you for having me on. Of course, documentary filmmaker here on The Review. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned. We've got local and national news up next here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I am your host, Emily Moshak, and I'm joined in studio by our local news reporter, Mia Sawayo, and my other co-host, J.D. Layton, is here today, but he's just getting some 
extra special insider information on the CSU 150th anniversary documentary with our interviewee, Frank Boring, who we had on previously. And if you missed that interview, we will have this episode up as a podcast on kcsufm.com, so be sure to check that out. But in the meantime, we've got local news right here. The Poudre School District Board of Education may vote on later start times for middle school and high school students as early as the 27th of November, reports the Coloradoan. PSD has been working on proposals to changing start times at the recommendation of the American Medical Association, which states that secondary school should start after 8.30 a.m. so students can get adequate sleep. High schools and middle schools in the district currently start classes between 7.25 and 8.15 a.m. There are three proposals which the board is considering, not changing start times, moving high school start times to 8.30 a.m., or moving the start time to 9 a.m., and then the middle school start time to around 8 a.m. PSD Superintendent Sandra Smizer said that the changes will have a larger impact than just family adjustments to a new schedule, but will change busing schedules and impact extracurricular activities, possibly including a $4 million project to add lights to sports fields and tennis courts. The district received almost 24,000 responses on two surveys on the issue and originally planned to vote on the issue in December. But the board may vote during their November 27th work session. The board is also closely monitoring the Cherry Creek and Big Thompson school districts, as they both recently implemented later start times as well, which appear to be going well so far. If any changes pass, they will be implemented in the 2019 to 2020 school year. I would definitely want later start times if yeah. I was in high school. I remember, I think my school, high school started at like 7.15 a.m., Wow. It was so early. and Mine I was, was 8 a.m. Was I'm it? Lucky. Yeah, minus 7.15. And I was just such a zombie. I had to wake up at like 6 a.m. every day. Like I That's didn't crazy. even That's like my favorite thing about college. The first half of my day. You get to choose your classes. Thank God. Yeah. I know. College has trained me so badly, though. Like I don't, I can't barely even wake up at like 9 in the morning now. Like I used to be able to get up at 5, and now I can't get up. I think that's happening to me, too. Any earlier. <laughs> Even 10 a.m. is a stretch for me. <laughs> okay, I'm not that bad. Y'all are, y'all are children. You got to get up at like six. This is JD Layton on mic. I, I snuck into the studio. He did. He's back. Y'all are children. You got to get up and, and and get up in the morning. It's not that hard. It's, Set your alarm. It's not necessarily difficult. Roll out of bed. No. Mm-mm. no. Face. You're, nope. you're wrong. I'm good. You're wrong, JD. If you think JD is wrong, oh my God. <laughs> text us at 970 491 <laughs> FBI data collected by the Anti-Defamation League has shown that anti-Jewish crime rates within Colorado have doubled since 2017, reports the Associated Stress the Press. Bias-related crime incidents have remained relatively stagnant in Colorado, but anti-Jewish crimes have risen since 2015. Incidents like white nationalist rally in Denver on Sunday and a Fruta home flying a swastika flag just last week. Colorado law enforcement have received over 106 reports of hate crimes throughout the state, with over half being racially motivated and a quarter being religiously motivated. And, you know, that's something that's that's really struck home in uh, at CSU as well. We've had several incidents of racial and religious bias yeah. going on that happened in, in my hall last that was, year that was your i was hall. in news well i didn't do it but that did happen in my hall and then we got a visit from tony frank reminding us to be good people 
which yeah. some people in my hall weren't, and they were annoying. It was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if somebody was putting swastikas on people's yeah. doors. And there was also a noose incident, yeah. too. Yeah. It was just crazy Oof. over there. It was terrible. It is terrible. But we did have CSU, CSU night, Yep, which was kind of a rally, I believe. Did that happen around March? Yeah, that was in the spring of last spring year. Spring of last year, just to kind of remind Rams to stick together against hate. And although it is unfortunate that things like this keep happening, it is nice to see that President Tony Frank and majority of the CSE Rams, I think, really take this seriously and want to support the community. Electric scooters, much like city bikes, bikes will eventually come to Fort Collins. In other cities, people can rent the scooter through their phone and get off them wherever, when, whenever and wherever they please. The main problem with these scooters is that people leave them in strange places, like near rivers or in front of doorways, according to the Coloradoan. By downloading the company's app, people immediately have access to the e-scooter, which they can drop off anywhere once they are done using it, as scooters do not have a docking place. E-scooters have already become problematic in Denver. The Denver Public Works has threatened to confiscate scooters left in in the quote, public right-of-way, as they are becoming hazardous to pedestrians, according to the Denver Post. These e-scooters reach a maximum speed of 15 miles per hour, but are not allowed in Colorado's bike lanes. Many e-scooter companies do not coordinate with city regulators before starting up their shops, and Fort Collins is hesitant of introducing e-scooters to the sidewalks. You know, I was in Denver a weekend or so ago. They are everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere. I haven't seen any of these yet. Well, it's yeah. I, it was like a night and day thing because I, I was there not too long before that and I didn't see a single one. I come they back just blew up. and they're all over the place. It's like <laughs> did they every single you? corner. It was just like, like why are all these scooters oh. here? Where did they come from? They're like in weird places. There's like one like left in the middle of the road. It's like why? Yeah. Of all places. They like, would drive me nuts, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out how you charge them. Like if you just drop them up, are there people who come and pick them up or do they just like take the L and buy more scooters and put them in the docking station? They probably have someone, I'm assuming, who would recharge I hope them. So. Or... I, I don't know. I yeah, am I not know informed either. enough on this topic. Well, they must be. Because even with those like rent-a-bikes that you can do, there has to be someone to pump the tires and take care of them and yeah, stuff. I feel like but the, people abandon those too and those things are expensive. They charge you continually and they just leave them. Why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. You just lose the money. <laughs> well, I, just, I don't know. I just... No offense to all the lovely bicyclists in Fort Collins, but you I watch am... watch your tone, I bike. I am not keen <laughs> about other motorized vehicles kind of being in the middle of the road when I'm trying to drive. Oh, well, these can't go in bike lanes, which is making it a oh, little bit right. problematic okay. for pedestrians. Yeah, you have pedestrians. to keep these on sidewalks. Oh, so we're going to get taken out yes. by scooters while walking. <laughs> That's actually happened in a few cities I okay. read about. So. Well, Yay. All right. Well, <laughs> watch TBD. out. Well, yeah, stay out. Watch your ankles. <laughs> yeah, watch out for Collins pedestrians. Ugh, absolutely ridiculous stuff. <laughs> the 49-year-old man who drove on the wrong side of I-25 and died in a fatal collision has been identified as Eric Elwell of Windsor, reports Sandy Swanson of the Coloradan. The crash occurred on November 8th and caused a shutdown of I-25 while the wreckage was cleared. Elwell was attempting to flee police after a sheriff's office office deputy attempted to pull over the vehicle for a traffic stop. The deputy pursued the vehicle until it entered oncoming traffic on I-25, where it eventually crashed head-on into a semi-truck. Elwell's criminal record showed he was accused of accepting $5,000 for a contract he never completed. Elwell had no other criminal activities on his record. 
Colorado State Patrol does not think drugs or alcohol were included in the crash. That would be terrifying. You're driving on I-25 and another car comes head on. That is terrifying. That's like a nightmare right there. I know. It's a good thing that at least it sounds like nobody else was hurt. Yeah, the uh, semi-truck driver was uninjured, um, but still, he he died because of it. Yeah, that is an unfortunate, an unfortunate incident. But in lighter news, our reporter Katie Otter took a little trip to Odell Brewing the other day to get a little insight on a special beer that you are going to want to know more about. So stay tuned. We've got it only here on the Rocky Mountain Review. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. For 90.5, I'm Katie Otter, and I love beer. One beer that I have been enjoying lately is Odell's Cloudcatcher Milkshake IPA. Recently, I had the pleasure of sitting down with uh, Victoria Mita. I'm a taproom associate at Odell Brewing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much yeah. for sitting down today. Um, we are sitting here over a, is this a pint? Yeah, it yeah. actually is. It's over a tulip glass, a, okay. but it's 16 ounces makes a pint. A pint of Cloudcatcher, your guys, uh, their IPA, the milkshake IPA. And it's seasonal, right? It is, yeah. So how long can we expect it to be? It's honestly very much based on demand. A lot okay. of our decisions are based on what we hear back from the community in terms of what they like, what they don't like. But Cloudcatcher was a pretty special limited release, mm. seasonal, because it ran, I believe it was four months, which is a little longer than usual. Okay. So we distributed. It's out in liquor stores and shops, and there are kegs at accounts of ours. So as long as that supply lasts, is pretty much how long it'll be out there. And then we reassess things and take stock of that and figure out how much to make next time. So is it doing pretty well? Because yeah. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, it's been received quite well, which yeah. we're all excited about because we love it. You right? Know? Yeah. The worst thing is like we get attached to a viewer just like <laughs> a family member. And then if the demand's not there, we're going to listen. But right. if people like it, then we get to keep brewing it. So. I'm like a huge fan of IPAs, mm-hmm. um, but this doesn't look like an IPA. No, this it doesn't. Is, it looks, it's a very light in color. Mm-hmm. So what what gives it this color? Like why? What's the deal there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or a lot of people rack up and they think, they read the term milkshake because mm-hmm. it is a true style. It's okay. not a term we made up to like market it. Gotcha. Um, it's a real style of IPA now. So essentially you have ales and lagers, which are very much defined by the yeast strain that you use. Okay. And then beneath those styles, you have a bunch of subsets, right? So we love hops. Therefore, ales are our jam, mm-hmm. and we'll make APAs, IPAs, double IPAs. We even dabble in other areas, mm. but we like the house ale yeast okay. that we develop here. Nice. Right? So a lot of people talk about hops and grains affecting flavor of beer, and they don't think about yeast as much, mm. um, but it's a really big factor. So. Okay. In fact, the Milkshake IPA is a subset of the New England-style Hazy IPA. Ah, okay, yeah, because it does have that haziness to it. Right. It's like a hazy Hence gold. the term ah. cloud catcher. Oh, wow. It's a bit cloudy. They thought a lot about it, and the reason it has that beautiful golden aspect to it is because there are notes of peach and orange. Ah. It's very much a citrus-focused Milkshake IPA. Okay. So people... Oftentimes they read milkshake and the first thought is either 
it's going to be a dark, heavy chocolate yeah, milkshake I, type of thing. That's what I originally thought, mm-hmm. yeah. Or it's it must good. have, like, ice cream or heavy cream or mm. some big dairy in it. The reason it's called milkshake IPA is because it's fermented with a lactose sugar. So by using a sugar that's derived from lactose, you get a creamier, smooth, velvety body and mouthfeel to the beer. But ours happens to be not so heavy on you. More like a dreamsicle. Yeah, okay. That's a good way to put it. Because of, yeah, so you're getting sweetness from that lactose sugar Mm -hmm. and the grains that are used in making the wort the base of the beer. But then that balances out really nicely with a four hop profile. So Mm. it's actually got, it's double citra hopped, and then it's got Azica, Galaxy, and Cashmere hops. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's got a really nice, well-rounded hop profile. Definitely. But any sort of bitterness that would come out of the flowers is balanced by that creamy mouthfeel, the sweetness from the lactose sugar, the balance of the other ingredients that they put into the beer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool logo. Yeah. We can't show it to you over the airwaves, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's very creative. Fun fact about our label art is that it's got a really nice consistency. Yeah. And it's very whimsical and mm-hmm. fantastical. And we can credit that to Mona Karen. She's been working with Odell for the last 10 years on the label artwork. Wow. And then she collaborates with our marketing team in terms of what kind of image and picture they want to present with a beer. Mm -hmm. And so with a title like Cloudcatcher and the beer itself, you can see it's a monochromatic orange, Mm -hmm. yellow, sunny sort of color. And kind of like an uh, like an orange juice color. Right. Something like a mimosa almost. It looks like a pre-made beer mosa. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you want to have a beer mosa without worrying about the orange juice, this is kind of your ideal situation. <laughs> yeah. Right? right? And so Honestly. cloud catcher, you know, it's that concept of it's hazy, it's cloudy, mm-hmm. but it's also like a beautiful bit of a sunrise or sunset, yeah, right? Yeah. She's up in the clouds. We actually visualize this person, the cloud catcher, right. and she's catching the clouds with her <laughs> Yeah. I love it. How did you guys decide to, to brew a milkshake IPA? Yeah, they worked really, really hard. Yeah, and they drafted a couple different versions before we settled on the final one. Okay. Um, certainly it's on trend. Like mm-hmm. the New England hazy style right. IPA is on trend. Um, but to make an IPA that pulls out and profiles the actual hop characteristics, like really getting the flavor from the flower, mm-hmm. but also making it drinkable, Mm. um, making it balanced. The idea with Cloudcatcher is that, yes, it'll be hazy, it'll be fermented with lactose sugar, but it's got to be different because there's lots of really good New England-style IPAs out there. Right. And we applaud them, so how can we make it different? And that's really how this final version came about. Anything new and upcoming that we should be on the lookout from Odell? Our latest big, big release is Sippin' Pretty. Okay. So it's a kettle sour, it's a gosa, which means it's got characteristics and hints of sea salt. We release it on Friday. Exciting. Yeah, so This very upcoming exciting. Friday, the 16th, be on the lookout for um, Sippin' Pretty. That's exactly right, it. by Odell. Well, uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me. This was great. Uh, we can find uh, Cloudcatcher at Odell Taproom and 
surrounding liquor stores for a limited time, a I guess. Fair, a fair amount of time A to fair come. amount of time. Yeah, and, we'll um, see what happens. Maybe it'll be an annual. Certainly hope yeah. so. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. A big thank you to Victoria Mita of Odell Brewing for sitting down with me to talk about Cloudcatcher, Odell's Milkshake IPA. And thank you to Odell Brewing for making such delicious beer. For 90.5 KCSU, I'm Katie Otter. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a big hophead. I love me some good cloud catcher. This is J.D. Layton, <laughs> the cloud catcher lover. Oh, my god! Joined in studio by... Emily Mashak. As well as our local reporter. Mia Soleil. And our very special guest, Cheyenne, who's going to give us a little something sweet in comparison to that hoppiness. Really trying to balance it out here. So here's some Thanksgiving cupcake tips from our very own. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Cheyenne Duba, as JD, the cloud catcher lover, said. And I am one of the hosts for CTV Cooks. And recently, I did a segment on holiday cupcakes, like fall-themed cupcakes. So... If you guys just want to take out your, like, pens and papers real fast, write this down. I'm on it. (laughs) Everyone who wants to make some cupcakes and impress everybody at their Thanksgiving get-together, they're really cute. So (laughs) um, all you got to do is just get some box mix and buy some donut holes from Safeway. You make your little mini cupcakes. You're also going to need some pretzel sticks and some sugar, like colored sugar, so that you can put it on top of the frosting. So after you have your mini cupcakes baked, you're going to take your donut holes, stick your pretzel stick through the donut hole. Then you're going to stick that pretzel stick donut hole creation in the mini cupcake. And then take some frosting. I used orange frosting because I made pumpkin cupcakes, but you can also make apple cupcakes, so you could Mm -hmm. use red frosting. Um, Then you just kind of slather it on the donut hole thing, stick it in the mini cupcake. Then you kind of have this. Oh, wait, no. First, you put the frosting on and then you roll it through the sugar. And then you have this ball creation that looks a little bit like a pumpkin or an apple, whatever you choose to make. Then you stick that in your mini cupcake. And then you're also going to need a bag of frosting with a leaf tip, which you can get at like Safeway or King Supers for like three bucks. And you just squeeze it on there and it looks, the pretzel stick is the stem and then the frosting is just the little leaf. And then you have a little pumpkin slash apple cupcake, whatever color you choose to do. Wow, such elegant little cupcakes for for such fall festivities. That's so cute. They sound delicious. I wish I I could have one right now. I I should make some when we come back. You should. I like that it it. combines donuts and cupcakes. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's like the best of all. So good. Well, listeners, if you would like to actually see what these beautiful cupcakes looked like, you can check out Cheyenne's full CTV Cooks episode on the Rocky Mountain Collegian Facebook page where we have all the live CTV episodes up there. Now... I want to eat a cupcake, but I think Emily's going to tell us about Danielle, who ate the sandwich. I am going to. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of CTV, when I'm not here at KCSU, I am on the television show Ram Life, and we interviewed Danielle Ate the Sandwich, who is kind of a local artist. She's been doing her thing for a few years, but she is actually a CSU alum. She went here from 2004 to 2008 and because of that she is always here coming back to Fort Collins and sharing her beautiful music with us and so we had the privilege of having her in the CTV studio earlier this week and here's a little sneak peek of her performance of her song The Long Haul that she did for us right here on the Rocky Mountain Review. Hi I'm Danielle Ate the Sandwich and this is my original song The Long Haul.
If you liked what you heard, Danielle Ate the Sandwich will be performing at the CSU Stadium on the New Belgium Porch tomorrow at 4.30.
Up next, Mia Sawaya is here to tell you about the banning of Jewel Pods and the aftermath. The chief executive of Jewel, Kevin Burns, claims the company never intended for the youth to gravitate towards their product, according to the New York Times. Rather, he says the company was started to help smokers quit in a way that still satisfied their nicotine cravings. This statement received criticism, as some people think Jewel's marketing targeted minors. Caroline Rezuli, a representative of Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, says the company's departure from social media is too late as young customers are already hooked. I would probably agree with that. I feel like banning it really isn't going to stop that much. Yeah. I mean, it's already had its influence. Exactly. Well, and there's so many more brands that are similar to Jewel that aren't Jewel that are still on the market. And I feel like people are just going to continue to keep making brands and similar things. Yes. I, f- I feel like if the FDA had gone in, they would have just done like a whole I think thing, they still will. Ban all, you know, flavored types like that, like they did with cigarettes, um, which is probably important. Something like, what was the statistic we saw not too long ago? Like... 30% of, like, Colorado high schoolers are are vaping. I think it was around 20%. It's not, that's still a lot. Well, and that's even, there's definitely more than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a lot. And I guess that's true. I can't really criticize too much because it's obviously an issue, and it's better to try to solve it than to not. But um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I feel like it's going to be one of those things, but we really won't know the effects until about 20 years later. When I can't wait to read the health studies. Juuling high school kids are adults. My lungs are made of mint vape. <laughs> oh and made... I can't breathe. Oh, my goodness. Well, another national update on the California fires. The death toll for the two fires burning in California has officially risen to 59, with many still unaccounted for, reports CBS. The Wolseley Fire near Los Angeles has officially killed three, burning down 500 homes, and is 57% contained. The campfire north of Sacramento has officially killed 56 people, with 130 still unaccounted for. It has also destroyed more than 10,000 structures, mostly homes, and is only 40% contained. The campfire has also left most of the people of Paradise homeless, for which whom there are no housing options in the state at this time, reports NPR. The cause of the campfire has not yet been determined, but dozens of residents are filing lawsuits against Pacific Gas and Electric Company, the local utilities company, alleging alleging that the failure to properly maintain power lines is responsible. Rain in the forecast is predicted to bring mudslides in the area as well. That is just, that is so sad. It is. is so sad. It is really sad and unfortunate. Each for... update we get, I'm just like, oh, my heart goes out. I know. Definitely. Our hearts go out to them. But... On the bright side, foundations like the American Red Cross, who we spoke to on Tuesday, are working in their bit to help with the fires. And if you would like to help in some way, you can go to AmericanRedCross.org and find out how you can help with the California fires. Right on. Jury selection began on Monday for the trial of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Because of the intense coverage and public attention that this trial is receiving, the jury selection has been a challenging process, reports CNN. El Chapo is considered, once considered the world's most powerful drug trafficker, was boss of the Sinola drug cartel in Mexico, and was once ranked as Forbes' most powerful people. 
The Sinaloa cartel is famous for its violent involvement in Mexico's drug wars. Guzman is being held in solitary confinement in Brooklyn, New York, with the trial taking place in Manhattan, reports CBS New York. Because of past violence committed by Guzman and his associates, the jurors on this case will receive special security. The judge has ordered that the jurors remain anonymous and partially sequestered. El Chapo's trial is expected to last about four months, and if he is convicted, he can face up to life in prison. This is the uh, this is the same man who like escaped by like digging a tunnel in his prison cell and like getting carted out. He like escaped numerous times, like very hard to get like in control of. It sounds like the Shawshank Redemption. This guy, <laughs> well, that would be a nice if this man wasn't super brutal with some of the things that he's done. Yeah, or, definitely. Or alleged to have done. I, I don't want to make claims, but yeah, the cartels have done some brutal things. Definitely. I know. I would hate to be on jury duty for this case. That, so four yeah, months. It's terrifying. <laughs> I, <was> like, mm. <laughs> I hope that's not me. Sorry. Just kidding. I love to do my American duty <laughs> as a citizen. In other news, Caesar Sayak, the man accused of sending pipe bombs to prominent Democratic political figures, including Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, pleaded not guilty to the crime in court today, reports the Virginian pilot. Syak's lawyers gave the, plea, gave the plea earlier today in Manhattan federal court. If found guilty, he could face a penalty of life in prison. His next trial will not be held until July of 2019, as Syak's lawyers said they needed more time to look at the case, calling it a, quote, more complex case than the average one. His mother revealed that he has mental health issues, but his lawyers are not releasing any details on his mental state. He sent a total of 16 devices through the mail, although none of them ex exploded. He was arrested on October 26th in Florida after being found in a van covered in Trump stickers. Why would you send pipe bombs in the mail? Why would you even do that in the first place? Because he's crazy. And even, I mean, even his lawyers obviously aren't going to say anything, but his own mother, was, he said he was mentally ill. But it is fortunate, I guess, that he was not clever enough to have them be successful and actually cause any harm. Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous stuff. Like you said, though, good thing nothing exploded. <laughs> Definitely. A, a world with no explosions is, is always good. <laughs> always better than True. not. Right. The only explosions I want to see are on the 4th of July. Yes. I like that. In fireworks. Still no other time. That's, that's exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> I figured, but I just wanted to clarify. We, we don't... Yeah, okay. Anyway, in more positive, happier news, our lovely video director, Sam Volkley, did a special music review and interview with the band, The Wonder Years, right here on KCSU Fort Collins. Hello, and welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review's music segment with me, DJ Squid. Today, I will be focusing on Philadelphia pop-punk outfit, The Wonder Years. While calling them a pop-punk band may not be appropriate after their latest release, Sister Cities, lead singer Dan Campbell found his roots with the band singing about his early 20s soul-searching and tales of strife. Their earlier albums brought the band to the forefront of a new wave of pop-punk in the early 2010s. Their new record, Sister Cities, released earlier this year and takes a large step away from their original niche while keeping their unique sound. This album expands their ethos to a global perspective, with a new sense of depth in every second of their songs. This new profundity reflects their sentiments for experiencing the world while being displaced from their hometown. It's an album about global connection and their experiences that they need to share. 
Sister City starts with Raining in Kyoto, a song that sets the theme for the album and creates an unsettling fervor while describing the events after finding out Campbell's grandfather passing as the band is about to board a plane and start their tour in Japan. track of the album feels the closest to their older style, with wailing guitar riffs and a pressing cacophony of sounds that reflect their time in Latin America. In an interview with The Independent in April 2018, Dan Campbell called The Ocean Grew Hands to Hold Me, their closing track off of Sister Cities, his favorite song they've ever written. He says, This song is a direct result of us challenging each other to push beyond our natural instincts for the duration of an entire song. We hold back a lot on that song in a way that we wouldn't normally do. The first time we played that song, I had my eyes closed and I thought, Did we really write this? This is a song we've been trying to write since we started playing music. Here's what Campbell had to say when asked about approaching the vocals for the new album. No, I think the biggest thing we did this time was uh, we we got a, a whole setup of in-ears for writing so that I could actually hear myself sing while we were writing the record, which was not a thing that we had available to us before. And so it actually makes like a massive difference because I can hear myself. Yeah. I've never been able, to, been able to hear myself while we write a record before. And so it's basically been everything has to operate in binary, right? If I want to sing quiet, there can be no drums. As soon as there are drums, I had to sing as loud as I possibly could to hear myself over the drums, which put us in a situation where I was either kind of like very quiet over very quiet music or belting at the top of my range over everything else. Okay, nice. So we... Uh, you know, technology, honestly, opened up the option for that. You want to listen to the whole interview, you can find it on kcsufm.com. The Wonder Years will be playing at Washington's this Saturday with Have Mercy, Oso Oso, and Shortly. This has been your Rocky Mountain Reviews music segment with me, DJ Squid. Now back to you, news crew. Welcome back to the news crew. 
on the Rocky Mountain Review. I didn't have my microphone on, so if you heard a weird echo of my voice in the other room, that is why. It was the ghost of Emily's dignity, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Ow. <laughs> that was harsh. I'm just kidding. Your dignity Whoa. isn't dead. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I'm Emily Moshak. <laughs> this is my savage co-host, J.G. Layton, <laughs> along with our local, local reporter, reporter, Mia Sawaya. And thank you to our... DJ Squid, our very own DJ Squid, for that lovely, lovely music segment. But now, it's time for the true best part of the show. I know you've been waiting for it. Ugh, have I been waiting for it. It's time to don our meteorological hats and definitely take a look into the forecast of the future. And by future, forecast, I mean weather, because I can't predict the future. I don't know what's coming up. Except for those few episodes in the past where I did predict the future. Hopefully somebody marked my words because I already forgot what I said. Mm-hmm. See, y'all, y'all don't even remember. No, I feel like this didn't happen. This, this I remember did, it. See, Mia knows. Well, I, I remember you predicting the future, but I don't remember it ever like coming true. What's well, because it it's like in, in the future. future. Oh, it's like oh, years okay. in the future. We'll get there. All right. <laughs> you already know that today was nice. It was pretty toasty. You know, it didn't feel like it was getting into the winter months it was a nice it it, it was it was like 60 degrees what the heck it was nice i, I enjoyed in it that's 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 not right and while tomorrow's gonna be about more of the same a little fi- high 58 some clouds you know that's not gonna be too bad but saturday here comes the best part yeah. it's snow yay right on everybody's traveling uh day I hate to break it to you, but those flights are looking like they're going to be grounded. Probably not. Don't don't take my word for it. But it is going to be nice and snowy, so definitely travel safe. And the rest of the week is looking like it's going to be pretty pretty nice. Nothing going to peak above 60s, but you can expect sun the entire time for your lovely fall break. All right. Thank you, JD, for that lovely weather report as always you can't say that and then just shake your head at no me. i didn't shake my head it was just a a gesture i could see the disappointment in in your body motion no he's lying to our listeners who can't see me anyway i'm staying out of this <laughs> thank you yeah, somebody's gotta get best. my back on this it's best for me and not to get involved well anyway that is all we have for the show today thank you thank you lovely lovely listeners for being here and hearing the news with us unfortunately we won't be here next week because we are going to be with our families enjoying a little turkey and all that thanksgiving jazz i'll be here this is my family oh, oh wow i'm that joking i'm joking deep. i'll yeah, be no. gone he'll emotions. be gone yeah, I mean, tune in anyway for our awesome music. But yeah, we won't. I mean, yeah, keep we, the dial locked. Yeah, We're just definitely. taking a long break. A long a really break. long break. But we will be here the week after, and it will actually be a week of very, very special shows because they'll be run by some surprise guests. So stay tuned two weeks from now to see what that's all about. But in the meantime, thank you to our lovely reporters, Mia Sawaya, Katie Otter, Raven Color. Our video director, Sam Bulkley, for his perfect music segment. Danielle ate the sandwich for her lovely performance that she provided us with, as well as Frank Boring for all of his awesome information on the CSU 150th anniversary documentary that will be coming out in 2020. And thank you, J.D. 
And thank you, Emily Moshak, the hostess with the mostest. Oh, thanks. That's all for today, but we'll leave you with some good music. We've got Mother and Wife by Mothers up next here on 90.5 KCSU for Collins.